Well, good morning, good morning. It felt funny up here holding the phone and holding the mic and just... It's like, what, who you look at? <laughs> God is good. It's a good day. So, uh, Pastor forgot to tell me that um, I was preaching today. However, I think he did better. I think Paul dropped it on Abigail that she's preaching at you tonight on Friday. So, I did have a couple more days notice than Abigail. But God is good. He is a... Uh, when we were away for Christmas break, I had been just praying and spending some time with him, and he dropped First Peter 2 into my heart, so I was already chewing on that and ruminating on it. So we're going to talk today about First Peter 2, the call of the privileged. And First Peter is a letter that Peter wrote to Christians in Asia Minor, which is what's today called Turkey. And they were facing persecution for their faith, and Peter wrote to encourage them to stand strong, in their suffering. First Peter 1 is basically all about living strong in the midst of the suffering. He ends the chapter by telling them, you've been born again through the living word of God. Then he goes on in chapter 2, which is what we're going to talk about, and basically kind of an overall theme is you're a walking advertisement for Jesus. Live like a Christian so others can come to know him. It is so good, and it's a relatively short chapter. So before I read, because I want, you, I want you to get a context of what I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to quickly read 1 Peter 2. And I'm reading in the New, Amer- or I'm the, li- the, reading in the New Living Translation. So get rid of all malice, behavior, and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries out for milk. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Come to Christ, who was a living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priest who offer spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures express it, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Yes, he is very precious to you who believe, but for those who reject him, The stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And the scriptures also say, He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they don't listen to God's word and obey it, and so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you're not like that. You're a chosen people. You're a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession, This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, now you have received his mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. So I warn you to keep away from the evil desires because they fight against your very soul. Be careful how you live amongst unbelieving neighbors. 
Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will believe and honor, give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. For, if the, for the Lord's sake, accept all authority, the king as head of state, and the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your good lives should silence those who make foolish accusations against you. You are not slaves. You are free. But your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. You're free to live as God's slaves. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Show respect for the king. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh. For God is pleased with you when, for the sake of your conscience, you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing right and are patient beneath the blows, God is pleased with you. This suffering is all a part of what God has called you, called you to. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he didn't threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. You have been healed by his wounds. Once you were like wandering sheep. Now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So it's, and I know I went really fast, but it's a, it's a good chapter to kind of explain. It starts in the beginning explaining who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are the privileged. And then it goes on to tell you what your call is. So I really just had a heart to kind of take this and tear it up piece by piece and go through it. Now, I am my husband's wife, but I only have one week, so we're getting all of this in one week. Because next week, pastor's going to be here. He's going to have come from Israel, so he is not going to sit over there and let me preach again. So we're going to get all this on. So buckle up, buttercup, because we're going to go fast. So... 1 Peter 2 actually starts with chapter 2, it start, or verse 2. It starts verse 1 right above it. But it starts with, in many translations, with therefore. Therefore typically means, because of this, do that. So what Peter's telling us in, chapter, or in verse 2 is, because you have been saved through the living word of Jesus Christ, live holy, live like you've been saved. Live like Christians. Because you're born again, get rid of the bad and crave the good. And specifically, he gives us two things to do. He says, first, clean up. Rid yourselves of the bad. He says, rid yourselves. This means we, it's our action. It's our choice to do this. There are showers all over the world. There's bars of soap all over the world. Somebody chooses to get clean or chooses to stay dirty. He said, rid yourselves of the bad, all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil, slander. And here the word rid yourselves 
translates a Greek word that literally meant like a, that was used for like stripping off dirty clothes. So you think about people. How do you perceive people that are constantly walking around dirty? Before we were here in this building, we were literally like, what, a block up from the community inn where the homeless go. And daily, we would see crowds of people going to and from the community inn. And you'd see a lot of times there were new faces, but then there was always that pocket of people that just refused to change. Day in, day out, you watch them walk in and out of that place, hungry and dirty and filthy, and we would try. And many of them would walk in the door, and they wanted a hand out, but they never wanted a hand up. And they would walk in dirty, and they'd walk out dirty. What do you think of those people when you see them, when you try to help them, but they refuse to receive the help? They choose to sit in their filth. They choose to lay in the muck and the mire. You know, you look at them, and you know, in the beginning, your heart's like, oh, I want to help them. But then at some point, it's easy for the flesh to say, why? How dare you? I'm trying to help you. Yet here you are, laying in the mud. I've offered you a shower. I've offered you a hot meal. I've offered you clean clothes. And so then you just kind of, you know, the world, it's easy for them to get that irritation. I'm not going to help you. You don't want to help yourself. What if you see kids that are running around dirty? You know, it's one thing if they go to school and they come home dirty. They've had a great day and played. But if you always see same little Billy every time you see him, there's like, you know, snot on his face and, you know, what food he has probably on his face and his chin and his clothes. He's worn the same outfit for weeks. You pity him. But then you rise up with this righteous anger. How dare his parents not take care of him? And this is what the world sees when they look at the body of Christ and the filth of malice, which is hatred, spite, meanness. We look filthy when they see our deceit, our dishonesty, deception, and trickery. When they see our hypocrisy, how many of y'all have heard that? I'm not going to that church full of hypocrites. Bunch of false, two-faced people. When they see the body envious, full of jealousy, greed, and bitterness. And I'm going to tell you one thing right here. Don't be jealous. It doesn't matter how good they look like they have it. You don't know what they've sown to get there how they've gotten there, or where it's leading them. They may not have sown a penny. They may be rolling in money out the yin-yang because of worldly deception and greed, but you don't know where it's taken them. It very well may be taking them to hell. How much is it worth it then? There's never a reason to be jealous. And then the filth of slander. Insults about other people, smearing other people. This is something that I've, you know, when I, before I got saved, I was so insecure with myself. 
So it was very easy for me to look and try to find the faults in people. You know, if somebody said, oh, did you see what Chelsea did today? My instant reaction used to be, yeah, but did you see her before she got up there? Mm, did you see that look she gave to Betty Sue? Mm. I mean, I would constantly look for an insult to give because I was so miserable with myself that I needed to find the faults in other people. And we've done that. So before we go on, we've got to realize that the filth of our bitterness will kill our appetite for his goodness, for his sweetness. Or we can apply this like a covering and let his goodness rid us of that filth. So before we jump into the rest of this, we're going to stop and we're going to go to God in prayer. Because I'm sure somewhere in all of that, we can find something that we can improve upon. We're still dealing with this flesh. We're not perfected yet. So if we hear all of that and say, oh, I ain't got nothing to get rid of, you probably want to clean yourself of a lying spirit. <laughs> so we're going to go to God in prayer for a good cleansing. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that as in 2 Corinthians 2.14, we can praise you because you are always leading us to triumph. Everything you have put in this word was for us to bless us and to lift us up, to be closer to you, to look more like you, to walk in your blessings. Father, we love you and we trust you. Father, right now, we lay ourselves on the altar. Father, we don't ask for you to take. We give. We give you all of the filth that we've held on to, Lord. Father, we give you any malice and spite that we've had towards people. Lord, we give you any temptation to be deceitful, any temptation to be slightly dishonest, to twist things for our good, Lord. Father, we give you hypocrisy where we speak your name. We claim to be a Christian, but we're willing to blend in with the world. Father, we give you any envy in our hearts. Lord, we look only to you. We chase after only you. Because your word tells us as we seek first the kingdom of God, all things will be added to us. So, Lord, we don't look to the hymns and the hers and wish we could look like the thems. Lord, we look to you. Father, forgive us for envying what they have, how they act. And, Father, we give you any slander any insults and talking bad about other people. Lord, even if on the worldly forefront, it looks like they deserve it. Father, you've told us in Philippians 4 to think on that which is good, pure, lovely, and worthy of praise. That means even in the people. Jesus came to die for the world, not just for the Christians. He came to die for those people that we've talked bad about. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness.
Father, help us to see them as you see them. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Father, we thank you that we can come asking, and like a good father, you give. So, Lord, we ask you for forgiveness for all of the filth that we've been willing to carry, that we've settled for as just normal. Lord, we repent of those ways. We put on the cleanliness, a daily cleansing of your word and your love and your mercies. And we praise you for it. Lord, I thank you that we walk away with the mind and the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good stuff. God is so faithful, y'all. It doesn't matter what you did before you got here. If you barked at your spouse, you barked at your kids, you told a lie to your mama, it doesn't matter. God is faithful. So whatever you did before 30 seconds ago, it's done. Don't carry it anymore. You are clean, you are whole, you are new. So now you receive this word as his chosen people. And over in the end of chapter, I keep saying chapter, at the end of verse 2 and on to verse 3, it talks about cry out for the nourishment as a baby cries out for milk now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Y'all, you can ask Johnny and Holly, we got Gabriel about to turn one. What happens when a baby is hungry? Does a pacifier pacify? Does a toy bring joy? It doesn't. He's like, I don't care. I want my milk. I want it now. And you're going to give it to me or I'm going to make my presence known. And he rears his head back and screams and refuses to stop. He puts a demand on that which is his nourishment, on that which is his life source. He puts a demand on it and will not settle. Do we do that for this? Do we cry out, Lord, I need you. Nothing else matters. If I can't have you, I don't want it. Nothing matters if we don't have him. You know, Peter said in John 6, many disciples walked away from Jesus. And Jesus kind of turned around. He's like, you want to go too? He looked at the 12 full of sass. There's the door. And Peter's like, but Lord, where am I going to go? To whom would I turn? It's you. It's all you. You have everything I need. A mass exodus. But he refused to be moved by popular opinion. He refused to be moved by temptations because he knew this. Jesus was his source. He cried out and refused to be moved. That's what we're to do. It, it's referencing Psalm 34, 8, where he says, Taste 
and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted him? Have you really dug your teeth in, gotten a good bite? I'm not talking about yesterday's stale leftovers. I'm talking about this morning, before your eyes were open. Mm, Jesus, good morning. Just spend a few minutes fellowshipping with him. You don't even have to open your eyes to taste the goodness of God. Mm, Another day of life. Because there's many that don't do that. There's many that didn't wake up this morning. Did you breathe in the breath of God? Did you really taste him this morning? I have a, a, a friend that I've been friends with Heather since first grade. And my family's always hunted. All of us like to hunt. All of us like deer meat. Any way you slice it, dice it, fry it, cut it. Pan, cook it, crock, pot it, whatever. Deer, it's good. It's fresh. No preservatives. It's lean. It's healthy. Well, we're in the car one day, and my friend Heather's like, I cannot believe you were eating Bambi's mama. <laughs> and, of course, like, you know, sarcasm is like a second language. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm. She was good. <laughs> I'm just messing with her because I know she's spending the night with me and I know what we're having for supper. (laughs) And she don't know. So mama had bought some hamburger helper and we made it with deer burger because what else are you going to make hamburger helper with? Heather didn't just eat. And she didn't just eat seconds. Heather went back for thirds. And she looked at my mama. She goes, Miss Nancy, this was so good. I know you said it's hamburger helper, but my mama's hamburger helper don't taste like this. I need you to tell her what you did. (laughs) Mama said, well, let me show you. She went to the trash, and she pulled out the little freezer paper that said deer burger. And Heather goes, (laughs) But she couldn't walk away and deny because she had tasted three times. (laughs) She had seen that it was good. She couldn't deny it. She went home telling her mama, I know I said, but let me tell you, I experienced. Do we experience? Do we dig in for seconds and thirds and run to tell people of the goodness? God wants us to use this nourishment to increase our knowledge of him, to increase our experiences of him. You can't follow somewhere or someone and stay exactly where you are. You know, if I ask Miss Felicia to lead me in prayer and she's walking around the church, mm mm-hmm, go on, lead How well am I following? I got you. I see you. Mm, That's good. Hallelujah. I mean, really, am I following? I'm not following. If it's not moving me, if it's not changing me, if it's not growing me, 
I'm not using the nourishment of her knowledge that she found in Christ. We've got to let it change us. We've got to get the nourishment of that milk within us and then move on to the steak, deer steak. We can't settle. If we're not growing, and that's what you need to look at your life. Are you growing? Are you changing each year? Or do you look back? You know, as you cross into a new year like we just did, did you look back and go, wow, so much has happened this year? You know, I'm going to tell Marky a little bit, and I love this testimony. Marky came to us May 1st, wonderful young lady, raised with a firm foundation. She knew the word. She had tasted him. She had experienced him, but she came hungry for growth, hungry for the next, because sometimes that requires change. It's not that Maine wasn't great, but God called her to a next level, and she came and she submitted herself to that next level. And when she came, Marky was a bit emotional at times, sometimes several times a day, she would get upset and cry if something was out of her control or she didn't understand why or whatever. Well, she went home for Christmas all by herself. Like Barrett and George dropped her off at the airport and all by her big girl self, she flew. She had a connecting flight. She made it to her plane. She went all the way to Maine. Like, she's an adult. But she had had, she had had this past character on her that she would get emotional if things got a little stressful. Well, what could go wrong at an airport? <laughs> when you have one bag of luggage and you get to Maine and that one bag is not there. That could potentially be stressful. I brought one bag. All they had to keep up with was one bag, and yet American Airlines didn't do it. That would be a moment of, I can't believe this is happening. I'm by myself. They lost my one bag. But they didn't. She got on the phone, and she texted me, and she's like, so this is happening. And I'm not even crying. Like, we were more excited about the fact that she wasn't crying than we were disappointed they had lost her bag. And that was just in six months, seven months. That's growth. Yeah. And, I mean, we can look at that and we can giggle, but that's growth. Because emotions can be a bondage holding you down. Because, really, emotions tie back to fear. She had let go of the bondage of fear of the unknown and said, you know what? God is always leading me in triumph. God works all things together for good for those who love him. Well, I love him. I've devoted my life to him. I've got his word that he's going to use it together for my good. So why on earth would I like melt into this sniveling, snotting, crying mess when I can stand in joy and in boldness and watch God work it out for me? He's got my back. I don't need to worry. And that's what she did. She stood up in boldness and she watched. 
She went on to her parents' house, and they called her the next day and said, we got it. She's like, okay. She rested. Can you see growth like that in yourself? Can you see applying the milk, pouring it in, and watching yourself get stronger? If you can't, then that may be a good sign that "Mm, I probably need to get a little bit more of this in my belly. He says over in verse 4, coming to Jesus. He says we're coming to Jesus, not just having come, not just we came. He says you are coming to Christ. How wonderful would my marriage be if I stood up here and said, I do, I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. That's nice. And I never saw my husband again. I came to you once. And yet that's what we do with Jesus. It's like, Lord, I'll let you be my Savior. Peace. I came to him. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yes, I came to him when I was seven. How old are you now? I'm 58. You talked to him since? No, I came to him when I was seven. That was good enough. I mean, if we did that to our spouse or our kids did that, did that to us, the world would look at us like we done lost our mind. But yet it's okay to do that with Jesus. You know, I come to pastor daily in fellowship, in love, and in intimacy, and in fun. We're supposed to do the same thing with God. We come to him in prayer. We come to him in worship. We come to him by getting in to his word. We come to him by listening for and obeying his Holy Spirit. We can listen. What you say, Barrett? Go get me some water? Okay. And that's what a lot of times we do. Holy Spirit, help! Why won't this work? He's like, oh, look, the word right here. Do this. And you're like, that's not the answer I wanted. I want you to, you know, be like the little genie and wiggle your nose and make it all work. I don't want to have to do anything. That's coming to Jesus. We listen to and obey his word. We fellowship with his body. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. You've just seen Jesus. You get to fellowship with them. Because they are all needed members of the body of Christ. Every last one of them. You know, I've talked about an example of a girl. This was one of the ones that was at the community inn when we first met her. And she was one who came to the church and she submitted herself to the church And she did great. And the end of the story is she got a job, she got a house, she's doing well. But when she walked in the first few times, she came in and she was in the restroom. And now our old building, the bathroom was like this big. It wasn't even even big enough for two stalls side by side. It was a stall and a stall back to back. And so you're like squeezing in. And then you walk around, but there can't be two people because there's no room to pass. You walk around and wash your hands, and then you turn, and there's the door. 
small bathroom. Well, she was in the bathroom, unbeknownst to me, and I walk in one day, and y'all, I have a strong stomach. Like, you can ask Deb. I like to hear the medical stuff. Like, none of it grosses me out. I can watch stuff on TV. I got a strong stomach. But I walked in one day, oh, the stench. Like, not even remotely joking, suddenly, my bladder did not care how full it was. I legitimately went running out the door to get a breath of fresh air because I was seriously about to throw up. This is how bad she stunk. Days upon days upon days of a woman in womanly times not having a bath. She reaped. And I went out there, and I breathed fresh air, and I'm like, Lord, I need your strength. You're going to have to do this within me because she needs your love. You've called me to give it to her. So I prayed over myself, and I marched myself right back in there, and I talked to her and fellowshiped with her, and then I gave her the biggest hug she's probably had in years. It surprised her that I would embrace her that strongly. I didn't care what I might walk away carrying upon me. What I cared about was here is a member of the body of Christ that doesn't yet know who it is. She didn't know the beauty that was within her. She hadn't read her biography yet. Who are you? Read your biography. This is who you are. This is fellowshipping with God. This is when it says coming to Jesus. We've got to be willing to come to the filth because Jesus died for them. They don't know that they're not filth. We come to Jesus by coming to his body. We are privileged to know who we are. And we are blessed to know who they are. Not how they look, not how they act, but who God says they are. So it says we are coming to Jesus, the cornerstone. And I thought this was neat. And like I said up here, the greeting, I like to get in and I like to find things out. So I went digging up what cornerstone means. And it's the visible support upon which the rest of the building leans for strength, stability, and direction. Britannica, for all you young people, this used to be an encyclopedia. It was a big book, like a whole set of books. You'd have to go to the book of E to find what an encyclopedia is. I went to the book of C to find what a cornerstone was. So in Britannica, it says a cornerstone symbolizes seeds from which buildings would germinate and rise. And then I went to architecture because it's building. So New Studio Architecture website says, in relation to architecture, a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure with all other stones laid in reference. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. Jesus, your cornerstone is the first of many. Jesus, your cornerstone, was sown so that you could rise up. 
Jesus, your cornerstone, was set to give you a direction and in a location. Then it goes on to say in verse 5, we, say me, me, we are the living stones. Jesus said he is dead but alive forevermore. Are we the living dead? I don't mean the walking dead like a zombie. I mean the living dead. There's a whole lot of walking deads. But are you the living dead? Are you alive in Christ and dead to self? Deb and Stephen own the um, Stanley Funeral Home in town. Now, we can go over there to the funeral home, and we can find any number of bodies, corpses, people who have died. Now, if I go over to a corpse and I kick it in the gut, is it going to jump up and, you know, kick me back in the head? Is it going to punch me? Is it going to roll over and cry because it got offended? Why not? Because it's dead. We don't have a right to walk up and down these streets and go, oh, my gummy bears. Did you see what they did? I'm so pissed off about this. I'm going to let somebody know. Mm. And we walk up. Do they even know who we are? Don't they know that waitress? Oh, my gosh. Such rude behavior. Don't they know we're a church? Y'all laugh because y'all know Christians be the worst Worst customers. My brother-in-law used to wait on tables. He said Christians were the worst. Soon as you saw somebody bow their head, they're like, super. There goes our tip. What a horrible representation we are if we aren't the living dead. When we're alive in Christ, I don't care what you say to me. If Justin has a bad day and looks at me cross, it does not upset me. I don't know that he didn't look straight through me and make a cross expression thinking about the burger he gave, ate that just gave him gas. <laughs> but everybody else is like, mm, Justin done gave me that look. Who he thinks he is? Mm. You are the living dead. You are alive in Christ. You are living stones. How big is a building going to be if it just has one row of brick? Well, that's a nice speed bump. Nothing more. But we're called to be living stones, to lean against each other, to support each other, to build up the body of Christ. That's who you are. You are an integral part of the body of Christ. You are his living stones. No other religion says that we are found in that God. Buddhists, they ain't found in that little fat statue with his bald belly and big, you know, bald head and big belly. They're not found in him. They find him a little statue and they sit it on a thing and they do whatever it is they do to this dead statue. You don't hear anybody found in Allah. But Christians, we are found alive in Christ forevermore. What an honor. What an honor 
that your God doesn't want to rule over you. Your God wants you to be a part of them. You know, I was talking to Barrett, so we got, you know, the beards and the shavers that have been pregnant, and they still are, you know, but so we've been talking a lot about, like, pregnancy and birth and everything else, and Barrett's like, the more stories you tell, the more Barrett's face is like, I think her and Georgia thought of adoption or surrogacy more now than ever before. You know, but I was talking to her the other day when I was working in Tennessee and I was driving down the road and talking to her and I was like, you don't understand. And I get not all moms and especially third trimester moms may agree with me, but for me, I adored pregnancy. I loved feeling that child within me. I loved feeling the girls move around. Luke kick me. Abigail, keep her knees in my ribs. Even the stuff like that. I'd push the rib down and she'd pull it back up. <laughs> and so then it was like a game. But I, I loved it. I loved the feeling of that life within me. It was an intimacy that nobody else could understand between me and that child. This is God. This is what God wants within you. He loves feeling you a part of him. He longs for you to feel him within you. What a beautiful honor it is for the creator of the world to desire you to be found in him. What a blessing. And it goes on in 5B. I'm going to have to speed up, y'all. This is y'all's fault. He goes on to, you know, in other part of, in the second part of 5B and says, I'm going to get my other notes. This Bible writing is really too small. <laughs> Forgot my other Bible. It goes on in 5B and he says, this ain't much better. He said, <laughs> he said, what's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing cornerstone in Jesus, chosen for a great honor. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you will trust him. Who, you who trust him recognize the honor given to him. We're going to scroll on down. And in verse 9, because it talks about those who don't accept him stumble. Y'all, y'all been created in Christ. You might as well accept your identity or walk around a fraud your whole life. And you're going to keep tripping over them size 20 shoes when your foot's really a size 10. Or they're going to really hurt when you're trying to squeeze a size 10 into a size 6. So we're not going to be stumbling block or stumble over him. And in verse 9, it says, but you're not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So who are you? Why do I say you're privileged? Because God himself calls you chosen. He chose you. Jesus could have stayed up there in heaven. It was, I'm sure, much more comfortable than down here. I'm sure, as much as we love Taco Bell, what he had up there could, like, put Taco Bell to shame 20 times over. 
but yet he chose to leave and come after you. You're chosen. You are royal. You are holy. And then he says you are pleasing. He says your actions please God. What a delight that I can please the creator of the world. I looked up priest, and it says, A priest is required to act as a mediator and offer sacrifices to God. Now, remember, he called you, say, me. me. I am a holy priest. I am a holy priest. Good. Now, let me tell you what you do. You are required to act as a mediator and offer sacrifices to God. For a priest to be a representative of the Godhead, he must first know who he is representing. There needs to be a personal knowledge that gives him greater intimacy and revelation than those he is serving so he can be a faithful witness to his people. Y'all hear that? You got to know God more than we try to blend in with the world. It says, the priest has to, has to have a knowledge that gives him a greater intimacy and revelation than those he is serving. You are here to serve the world, to be a blessing to them, because you've been pulled out of darkness into his light. You are now, just as Jesus came for the world, we are here to bring him to the world. But we can come boldly. If it wasn't a holy priest back in those days, they couldn't come boldly. Only the priest could come. You are a holy priest. You don't have to bust up in these doors and say, Pastor Brian, I really need you to go to talk to God for me. I done messed up. You can march right up to the throne of God anytime you want, anywhere you want, even in Walmart. Shock and awe. Then it says, a priest is called to represent the people and their needs back to God and gain favor for them according to what is acceptable, according to the terms of the covenant, covenant which he has established. A priest offers sacrifices. Well, what covenant do you have? You have the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're offering sacrifices. What sacrifices do we give? No longer do we go out there and find Dottie the lamb and like, you know. Instinct, yeah. Tyler's back there going. This, this is your sacrifice. This is your sacrifice. Your prayer, your worship, your thanksgiving, your praise, you you are the sacrifice, the only one he's ever wanted. He's always wanting you. That is your sacrifice. Priests cleanse themselves of impurities. Then they clothe themselves with special clothing. What is yours? It's the, it's the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness that I, we talk about in Isaiah 61.10. What's your qualifications as a priest? I'm so glad you asked. Y'all are really into this, pulling it out of me. <laughs> a, a priest's qualifications, their birth line. 
Well, Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. John 3.5, Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. There ain't no better bloodline to be in now than that of Christ. If he's your Lord and Savior, qualification one, check. Your character. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. The spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is not subject to anyone's judgment. For he has known the mind of Christ. For who has known the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But we say, I, I, I have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Character, check, check. Ordination. They had to be ordained as a priest. First Peter 2, 9, for you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Y'all, I got an ordination and a licensing, but there ain't none of them that can touch an ordination signed by the blood of Jesus. You've got that ordination. God sees you as holy, righteous, and complete in Christ. In Hebrews 10, 14, it says, For by that one offering, he forever, how long is forever, y'all? Forever. Does forever end? No, okay. He forever made perfect those who were being made holy. Say, I'm perfect. perfect. All them churches that say no perfect people welcome here, bless their hearts. I don't know where they put Jesus, but we welcome perfect people here. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're perfect. Look at your other neighbor. Say, you're perfect. And we're going to, oh, I got two more pages of notes. It's only 1220. (laughs) Y'all, I could, Paul went to what, one o'clock? I got so much time. I'm just kidding. Guests are going, oh, my God. (laughs) I love y'all. So, (laughs) verse 11 talks about, no, we're going to read verse 11 because it's good, y'all. Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. You're not meant to fit in. Stop trying to fit in. Foreigners and aliens. (laughs) Then he says, so I warn you, keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. Y'all, we walk around messing around with temptations like there's no problem. Oh, I'll eat the donut today. I'll be better tomorrow. Y'all know when diets start? Next Monday. Do you ever get to next Monday? No, because there is always next Monday. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow is Monday, but it ain't next Monday. So you know when the temptation of that donut goes away? Never. Well, I'll stop drinking when. Well, you know, I'll stop messing around when, when I find the one. But until then, I'm going to have fun. Y'all, he tells you this is a war, a war 
not against your neighbors, not against your mama and your daddy. This is a war against your soul. The devil is fighting for your soul. Because if he can keep you waiting till next Monday, what's going to happen when the heart stops beating on Friday? But Lord, I thought I had more time. But Lord, I was going to start next Monday. This is a war for your soul. But it is also a war for everybody around you and their soul. Your spouse, your kids, nieces and nephews, the cute little kids with their snot noses, what did you work with? All of them. Your temptation is a war for your soul, and your soul is called and chosen as a royal priesthood to lead them out of the darkness that you've been delivered for. Stop playing around with temptation. Put down the cookie. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Mm. Don't even open your mouth to say no. Just walk away. Just walk away. Oh, the temptation to walk away. This is the one I had to work on. Let me tell you how it is. And see, I fell back on the identity of, let me, look, I got a long line of rednecks. I can tell you how it is. Oh, girl, you and your Yankee self don't know nothing. Mm, I'm going to tell you how it is around here, law dog. And I had to learn. Walk away. It's okay that she don't like grits. She just don't know. Lord, I pray for her tongue of understanding to be in Jesus' name. Because sometimes the temptation is right here. Right here. And what you just need to do is sit down and shut up. I had a whole lot of that. Y'all pastor said, we got through the first year of Boomerang Church and nobody ran screaming. And I thought, wow. We got through the second year and I thought, that, that must be a fluke. He said, we got through the third year and nobody ran screaming because you ticked them off. And I thought, my God, you really do work miracles. <laughs> so that was the temptation I had to walk away from. Y'all, I'm so sweet now. I know you wouldn't believe that. Barrett said, yeah, okay. My hair ain't color red. This is all natural. Verse 12 says, how we live can cause pagans to glorify God. Y'all, I've seen some people covered in tats. Like if I saw them in a back alley, I would run. And yet, they have come up to me. It's like, oh, I just love you. I'm like. But God got a hold of them. They done got like, you know, fear and death, whatever, skulls all over. But God, but God, through you will cause pagans to glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
because we walk away for the, from the temptation that is warring for our souls. 13, now don't nobody be mad at me for where we're about to go. Say, Pastor Nicole, I love you. I love you too. For the Lord's sake, say for the Lord's sake, respect all, say all, human authority, even the ones you don't like. This starts at the way tippy top. Look, let me tell y'all something. You may not know this because mom and daddy may not have taught y'all. You ain't Democrat. You ain't Republican. You ain't libertarian or any other ends. You are a child of God. When you vote, you are voting according to the leading of God. However, no matter who gets in that office, whether you like them or like them and love them or just love them through the gritting of your teeth, he said, respect all authority. You may have loved Obama and hate Trump, hated Obama and loved Trump, but you better have respected both of them equally and prayed for them both daily. If you didn't, get on your knees and repent. He didn't say respect the authority that follows what you like and enjoy and gives you the tax returns you want. He said, respect all authority. What do you do when you respect somebody? You lift them up in prayer. You keep them covered because there is a war against their soul. Whether you, the president today, whether you like him or lump him, you best be praying for his salvation because today he's making decisions that affect you and your kids and your grandkids and your grand, grand, grand should Jesus tarry. Remember, we got cleansed of malice. We don't sit there in spite and post crap on social media about the president or anybody running. You lift them up in prayer. You follow the words of Thumper. If you can't say something nice, you don't say nothing at all. Because that's who you are. Jesus said, I only do and say that which I saw the Father do or say. Do you see God tearing anybody down with his words? You're created in the image of God. So if your lips aren't speaking love and edification, then you need to sit down and shut up. Out of respect for the Lord's sake, accept all authority and the officials he has appointed. All authority for the Lord's sake, not because they deserve it, not because they do what's right, but for the Lord's sake. You know, Peter wrote this in the time of Nero. I don't know if y'all know the history of Peter, but Nero wasn't a very nice guy. He didn't care what Peter liked and didn't like. He hated Peter, loathed him to the point that he crucified him. And yet, Peter said, you will, for the Lord's sake, respect all authority. 
Now, Christians do get persecuted today more and more because the body has walked away from standing boldly in who they are. It's not the world's fault that we're getting away from God. It's our fault. It is our fault because we didn't respect authority. It's our fault because we didn't get on our knees and pray. It's our fault because we forgot that we are foreigners and aliens and we tried to blend in. So what we need to do is we need to repent. And out of patriotism for our nation, out of a love for our Lord, we need to get on our knees and pray for our leaders and pray for this year's election. Don't tell me who you're voting for, who you like, who you don't like. I don't care. What I care about is, have you gotten in the word? Have you taken it to God? And have you heard from his Holy Spirit and obeyed? Even if Holy Spirit tells you to vote for the one you hate, you know what you do? For the Lord's sake, you respect them because you trust that God is always working all things together for good for those who love him. Do you love God? Dog, there's like, Jesus, I love you. We're going to try this again. Rewind. Do you love God? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Whew, for a moment there, I thought I was going to have to change this message to salvation. Mm. You know what other leaders we got? We got bosses. Mm. Wives, look to your husbands. Don't hate me. That's a leader, assigned and ordained by God to lead your family. Kids, look to mama and daddy. Kids is the first, look, the first commandment with a promise was addressed to our children. Honor your mother and father so it is well with you, so you will have a long life. Honor your mama, baby. <laughs> it was the first one with a promise. God is good. He goes on and says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people. Well, that's the word. I didn't even make that up out of sarcasm. That's the word. <laughs> it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, even the weird ones that are sitting in two or three rows behind you or in front of you. Don't look to them right now, but <laughs> love them. Somebody's next twitching, wanting to look. <laughs> Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure. 
Of course, you'll get no credit for being patient if you end up getting beaten for opening up your mouth. <laughs> but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, say, God is pleased with me. You are a royal holy priesthood. And y'all, there's more. Go read it. You are a royal holy priesthood. God's very own. You please God. We are privileged. Luke 12, 48 says, To whom much is given, much is required. You've been given everything. The only right we have is to burn in hell. That's the only thing that we've deserved. The only thing that we've earned is to burn for all eternity in hell. But God. But God chose you. In the midst of all the junk that entitled you to that hell, he looked at you and said, I'd rather live with having to clean up their mess than live without them. He chose you in the mess. And he said, they're mine. I'm making them holy. I'm making them righteous. I'm making them perfect. They're mine. And I desire them because they bring me joy. That's what he saw when he looked at you. So we do have a requirement. We have a requirement to live like we had nothing. And God gave us everything. Don't do like Peter. And deny Jesus when the pressure's on. I love Peter. He's one of my very favorites. He's such a passionate man. Like in one hand... He's ready to chop somebody's ear off. And I'm all about it. I'm like, well, we should go try that one. <laughs> Obviously, I won't. Pastor won't let me have a knife. <laughs> but to defend his Savior, to defend his Lord, he would chop an ear off. Out of love for his Lord, he'll get out on, of the boat and walk on water when everybody else is going, you're nuts. It's water. Don't do it. You'll die. But all he could see was his Lord. And out of his passion, he jumped out of the boat. And yet the very same man. Lord, I'll never deny you. I love you. Where would I go? That man, when the pressure was on, I don't know him. Don't be that part of Peter. All of us have been there and done it. Oh, you go to that church. Oh, you're one of them Bible thumpers, aren't you? Well, most certainly you don't believe in this. I mean, what is that mess, that gibberish that they talk? You know that ain't right. And it's easy to say, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. 
and just dismiss it. You know, most of us won't be so bold as to say, oh, no, no, I don't believe in that. We'll dismiss it with, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But will we boldly cut the ear off of the devil trying to attack our king? I don't mean a person. <laughs> this is a spiritual slicing and dicing. Are you willing to stand up and boldly go, oh, yes. Come here, let me pray for you. Will you be bold for him like that? Will you walk up? Girls, will you walk up to a dude in Walmart? I don't know you, but I just feel like I need to pray for you. Do you have a need I can pray for? Will you be bold enough to walk up to a stranger and profess the healing power of the Lord that died for them to walk out saved, healed, sanctified, and delivered? Will you be bold enough to acknowledge him in that way? Have you tasted and seen so much today that you're telling people about him, not yesterday's stale bread, not living on grandpappy's revelation 130 years ago, your revelation today. I heard this quote when I was listening to some preaching on the way to Tennessee. It says, ordinary things can be deemed as precious based upon who they are connected to. Verse 25 says, you were once like sheep, just ordinary sheep who wandered away. But now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. You may have walked in ordinary, but honey, you're walking out chosen precious, righteous, bold, fearless, redeemed, healed, hold, delivered, sanctified, set free. You're not ordinary. You know, I can go pick up a bat at Walmart it's an ordinary bat. But if I pull out a bat and say this is Babe Ruth's bat, George is going to knock me down to take it out of my hand. It may look. <laughs> they may both be wooden bats. But suddenly, because of the name attached, it's not ordinary. You've got the name above all names attached to the very fiber of your being. You are anything but ordinary, and it's time that we stop living an ordinary life. You are the privileged and the chosen. You have a call upon your life, and there is a world that needs you to walk in who you've been called to be. No longer are you free to live an ordinary life because even if never before, today you've been told you're not ordinary. Right. Bow your head.
every head bowed, I want you to think about the life you've lived up to today. Up to January 19th, 2020. Have you wondered in areas of your life? Wandering around, looking to see if the grass is greener somewhere else? Maybe even denying just ever so slightly. Have you lived an ordinary life just trying to blend in? Today's a new day. Right now, if you've done any of those things, maybe up to today, you've never even asked Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you asked him, but through tragedy and life, you walked away. Or maybe you invited him to be your Savior, but you just never made him your Lord. If today is a new day for you, if today is a day of living as the chosen, holy priest of God, if today you want to invite Jesus Christ not only to be your Savior, but also the Lord of your life, leading you into triumph, I want you to raise your hands. I see those. Thank you. I see those. Thank you. I see those. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that when we deserved it the least, you gave us the most. Father, we ask for repentance, for living an ordinary life. Lord, whether the hands were raised or not, every one of us have lived an ordinary life in some way. But, Father, today that changes. Whether you raised your hand or not, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. You are the director of my life. You lead and I follow. Forgive me for living an ordinary life. Today, I will walk in boldness. Today, I will walk in power and authority. Lord, I give you myself as an offering unto you. I give you my life and will serve you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.